Welcome to the Audiobook Lovin' Series, a month-long event celebrating the authors and narrators that bring romance stories to life. Listen along as Viviana, Enchantress of Books, interviews your favorite writers and voices, share special guest posts, and stay tuned for some special information at the conclusion of the episode. Hi, everyone. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with author Lynn Ray Harris. Welcome to the Audiobook Loving Series, Lynn. How are you doing today? Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Um, I'm, I'm doing great. It's a nice sunny day in Alabama, so I'm, I'm happy. Yeah, it's nice and sunny here in Florida, too. So it's uh, until hopefully we haven't gotten a lot of rain, but we're not in our summer season yet. So but it's a nice summer day. So thanks. Thank you again for being here. Why don't we start by having you tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been writing and how you got started? Okay, well, um, like so many people, I would probably say I've been writing forever. I mean, I wrote stories when I was a kid and, you know, hoped I would get published one day. This was back when you had to actually send books to editors at publishing houses. There was no such thing as digital publishing. Hmm. Um, But anyway, my first book, we're going to fast forward. My first book was published in 2009 by Harlequin. Um, I entered a contest in 2008 for the Harlequin Presents line. They were looking for new writers for the Presents line, which is this very Cinderella um, billionaires. You know, she's she's always the heroine is always the the kind of downtrodden um, Cinderella type, you know, and and she ends up with the the big boss or the prince or the chic or whatever, you know. And so I entered the contest and they had like 600 entries and I won. And uh, what I won was not a book contract, but an editor for a year, which was extremely helpful. Um, And I sold the first book to them within, I think it was within about four or five months of winning the contest because she worked with me, you know, back then talking, being able to talk with an editor was huge. And she called me regularly and we discussed the book and then, and she edited as we went, you know, gave me suggestions and all. And so that was just, that was like taking this major leap forward. So anyway, I sold the book to them. I wrote 20 books for Harlequin in the presents line. Um, My second book hit the USA Today list, which was just fabulous. I was so excited. And, uh, and then in 2013, I had this indie book that I'd written before I sold to Harlequin. Actually, it was a Golden Heart finalist, same year that I sold to them. And it never, it never sold or anything. And uh, the, you know, digital publishing had really taken off at that point. And I thought, well, what the heck? I had an agent and um, I had tried to get her to take it out and she didn't want to for reasons, you know, who knows what. But anyway, I self-published it and I think it was two years after that. I published it in 2013. And I believe in 2015, I said, okay, I'm going full indie. And I left Harlequin. So that's how it happened. And the rest is is history. (laughs) Right? The rest is history. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting how many moons ago it used to be the whole like goal was to get published by a traditional publishing house, like Harlequin Mm -hmm. or Penguin and Random and all that fun stuff. And now basically you don't need that anymore. It's um, I think it's still kind of cool. And some people will still find it as a a bit of a goal to at least have one book by them um, Mm -hmm. or be sought after. But nowadays everything is indie and you have so much more control over. Oh, you really do what you put. I mean, even everything from the the timelines to the type of stories to the covers. I mean, everything you have 100. Everything. And 
I'm the sort of person I love having that input. I mean, I used to get frustrated with Harlequin over back cover copy yep. or the, the covers themselves. Um, things would, fr- or the title. I mean, they always change the title <laughs> <That's true>. and <laughs> yeah, I would get so frustrated and I just, Oh, I just love being in charge of all my own stuff. But I will say, I mean, I give complete props to Harlequin for teaching me how to write a compelling story and get rid of the chaff. You know what I mean? Not yeah. just have 150,000 words of scene chewing, you know, like as we get from point A to point B. I mean, Harlequin presents are 50,000 words and you basically have to write a very tight emotional story in 50,000 words. And so I learned how to do that. Now, my books now are longer. I tend to be anywhere from 75 to 85,000. But Harlequin really taught me how to get rid of all the, you know, the stuff you didn't need, basically, and tell a story. So that is something that a lot of have said as well, when they have been traditionally published first, and they're like, yeah, we learned how to cut out some of the fluff and get straight more to the point and realize that we don't need all these descriptives is another thing I've heard. Right. So yeah, but yeah, there's, it's a lot to be said. I think it's, there's always good and bad with everything right now as an indie, you do everything. I mean, you want it, yeah. you have every control, but now you do everything on your own. <laughs> and, oh yeah. And it's know, a lot. It is. Lot. <laughs> it is. Yeah. No, trust me. I know it's a, it could be a lot and then goodness. And hopefully a lot of you guys will end up having smaller teams where you'll have someone that now you trust that knows your vision to do the covers and, and so on and so forth. So editing, promoting, marketing, all that fun stuff is all on you. <laughs> right. It is. And it's very rewarding. I mean, I'm a very type A personality anyway, but I have a team, you know, I have people who help me with stuff and, and that's great. I, I, I probably should know how many books I've written indie or how many books total at this point. And I really don't, it's, it's going somewhere up to 60 books total, which means I've probably written, you know, 25 or so indie, um, I should know, but I don't because I just write the next one. Yeah. But um, yeah, you, you learn, you know, you, you streamline the process and you learn how, you know, when you need the cover booked and when you need this and who you need for that. And so it's still hard and time consuming, but it's not every time is not like reinventing the wheel. You know, you've got a process. So that's yeah. helpful. Yes, exactly. It becomes a, like I said, part of that team and, and learning. And now you have, you know, authors will have reader groups. So they have another one spot location to share about upcoming releases. And you know, that that audience is all set up for success that way and so on and so forth. So yeah, it's absolutely, it's a fun community. You write primarily as at least as a, as a late military romance which yes. falls under the contemporary romance genre overall. Um, what was it about military romance that kind of made you go, hmm, I'm going to stick here for a while? <laughs> well, it, interestingly, I mean, I grew up with military family. So mm-hmm. it just, it comes natural as far as the lingo and how things work and everything. It just, it came natural. Um, my, my dad was in the military. My mom was in the military. My husband was in the military. I always said I would never marry a man in the military. Of course, that's what I did. Of course. I married married a man in the military and, you know, spent years bebopping around the world with him, which was great. I'm not complaining, but it, it was just, it was completely natural to write military romance. And I love the suspense element, you know, to me, the military hero is like the modern knight, you know, 
So they're off saving people and, and, you know, getting involved in, in problems that they have to, to fix in order to protect the world. And, you know, I just, I really liked that extra element. Um, writing Harlequin was very fun and challenging, but that was the billionaire, you know, and the Cinderella story. And these, um, the military romantic suspenses, you know, you've just got such a wide variety. You can have rich people, but then you also can have just the, the waitress down on her luck as the heroine, you know, you can have a scientist, you can, you can have whatever you want. And I just, I really like that. And I just, I like writing about the military because again, it's, it's easier for me because the research isn't as intense. I mean, I, I live with a man who I say, Hey, you know, do you know if this, that, or this would happen in the military? And he's like, well, and uh, so that's helpful, but I have a special ops team. I make up my own rules for them, which also saves me from really having to dig in and make it exactly, you know, to military rules. So I don't do that, but um, it's just fun. I just, I just enjoy the adventure of a good military hero um, on a quest. Mm-hmm. And there's also some other nuances when it comes down to having someone, um, you know, a military hero, because there is a lot of potential drama and traumas and backstories and, you know, all sorts of different things that you can add to the story to make it more Mm -hmm. one way or the other. And you still get that sense of adventure because of the romantic suspense part of things, but you can dive deeper into like, you know, some of the, the traumas and the, that happens to soldiers and why they got out, but they, why they still want to be the hero and be part of a special ops team. <laughs> yeah. Know? I mean, yeah, it's true. The, the military in some respects is its own character because people come to the military life for different reasons, but the military has rules, you know, and they, your average person doesn't just go, Oh, I'm just going to go do the military for a while. I mean, people come to it for various reasons. My husband, you know, he was raised in a small town and he just wanted to get out, you know, and he wanted money for college. And, and that was how he ended up in the military and he wanted to travel and see the world. And, you know, that's it for some people, for some people, they need that sense of structure. You know, some people it's the college money. I mean, whatever, but the military is rigid, you know, it's rigid. You get in it and there are rules and there are things you must do and things you must not do and things you get in trouble for and being a part of that, you know, putting a different personalities into it can also just make for a richer story because, you know, somebody can really be struggling with their decision to go in or in some respects, their decision to get out, you know, especially if they meet someone. And so it's just, it's a very rich environment. Yeah. I always love the, the, the character sometimes where, you kind of get surprised like you were in the military because yeah. they're a rule breaker or they're just, you know, they, they, they always have a smart ass comeback of some sorts or they're the jokester. And you're like, Oh yeah, you were, you were the fun guy, but you got in trouble a lot, huh? <laughs> yeah. You would, you would have gotten in trouble because you didn't like being told what to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, Did you not do your research, buddy? <laughs> yeah. But sometimes those are like some of the most fun characters to read. At least for me, it's always been like, oh, yeah, you were the one that was uh, maybe the best at what you did, but you also questioned it and kind of did your own thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's always fun. I'm sure those are also yeah. fun to write. Do you ever kind of go there and say, hmm, what am I going to do to you? <laughs> to yeah, the I mean, 
Yeah, everyone's different. So I, you know, I'm always saying, what can I do to this person? And um, one character, this has been a, a few years ago, but I had one who his choice was jail or the military. The judge gave him a choice, jail or the military. So he ended up in the military. This was actually a novella. Um, but yeah, he had a choice. You know, he was in a motorcycle gang and he was headed down one path and the judge is like, okay, dude, you know, here's your choice. You're going to jail or you can join the military. Cause it, it was 18, you know? Yeah. And he's like, well, okay, I guess I joined the military, which of course changed his life and turned him into a different sort of person. You know, he was able to channel all that angst and, and anger and everything he had as this young man in a motorcycle gang, he was able to channel that into doing something good in the military and it changed who he was. Yeah. So those are always great stories. I always find me fascinated yeah. too when it comes down to romantic suspense, how guns are blazing, bullets are flying by, and she looks at him and it's like, damn, you're hot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which in real life, I'm going, I don't, I mean, maybe, I don't know. I don't think so. That would cross my mind at that moment in time. But hey, it's why we read romance, you know. <laughs> when it comes down to those well, kind of it scenes, is. It, I actually. Know, yeah, yeah. I attended a lecture once by a guy. This was when we lived in Hawaii and he was a writing instructor and he'd actually written this book, the writer's book of wisdom. Um, it's one of the, I'm looking at, it's a writer's digest book, but anyway, um, he had this, he had a guitar and he sang this song and it was all about, it was really funny, but it was all about how um, tense situations increase the likelihood of having intense emotions. So he talks about being on a roller coaster and, you know, like you're, you're more apt to cling to the person you're with and have feelings for them. If you're in a dangerous situation, which was really interesting. It's a psychological thing. And, and God knows I'm probably getting the whole thing wrong, but it was interesting. And I've always mm -hmm. remembered that. So that's kind of part of why I think, you know, in a romantic suspense, there's danger, but yet they're drawn to each other. Now, I never stop in the middle of the bad guys chasing them to write a sex scene. That's just, to me, that's silly. We're not doing that, but they can start to have those emotions and those feelings because the danger heightens every other emotion. Which I think it's fun. Yeah. No. Yeah. I think it's one of those things where, or that's when that hero that has a comeback for everything buses out with a funny line as the bullets are, fl are flying by with her right. you know, kind of a thing. And it's like, really dude, really? But at the same time, it works. And yeah. then she's like, oh, smitten all of a sudden, you know, because you can make her right. up, even in this such a kind of a <laughs> scenario. Right. The, <laughs> the bad guys are after us, but he made me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> that's what, what I would say. That's that, that level of disbelief. But at the same time, you're like, yeah, that's that. That would work for me, too, though. <laughs> if I was getting shot at. Yeah. Like, I mean, or, a guy who is so confident that he can he can have the gun, you know, the blazing gun in one hand. It's still hot from shooting at things. And he can make a joke. He can be so confident as to make a joke in the middle yeah. of this thing. I mean, that is pretty hot. But yeah. I have to say, too, I've written some female characters that were in the military or mercenaries. And, yeah. um, and they're out there, guns blazing, too. So so I give them, uh, you know, some of the same some of the same opportunities, I should yeah. say. Um, it's not always the, the the male that's the the hot military person, but yeah. mostly because I think that's what readers of these particular stories like. But I'll I'll sometimes make the heroine be their fat ass equal, you know. 
Yeah. Well, I think that too. I mean, I like a strong heroine that's smart and independent. And even though she may be the one supposedly getting rescued, but can also keep up with him is right. You know, all of a sudden he's like, wait, you know how to shoot? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because I think a lot of times the guys get surprised when the girl can keep up with the guy. And, you know, those are some of my favorite characters have been where whether it is shooting and knowing how to handle a gun or being able to keep up with him in his smart ass for comments and stuff like that. And the jokes um, or being able to get the, the car to start without the key. <laughs> exactly. It's yeah. always nice when she's got some little thing to add and, or major thing to add. And she's not just the shrinking violet waiting for him to get her out of the situation, which that can be fun too. Sometimes. I mean, Sometimes you just want the guy is taking care of everything and he's going to rescue her. And that can work early in a book, too. And then by the end, maybe she now has a badass skill of her own, you know, so it's part of her growth process. Yes, exactly. I always like there's I think this one that I read where it was like that she was a damsel in distress at the beginning. And then somehow it happened again where she got kidnapped or something and he goes, okay, it's my time to save her. But by the time she got, he got there, she was already rescuing herself and it was part of the whole, her growth. And she learned a couple of things and he's like, okay, I'm, I'm good with this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love those kind of stories too. Those are fun. Um, even though you've written other genres, is there a subgenre within romance that you have yet to write in that you're going, hmm, perhaps this is my next, you know, adventure? Oh, boy. I mean, as a romance reader, of course, I love so many things. And I, I've been reading the, um, the fantasy romance, which I have no plans of writing. That. <laughs> but it's funny, my initial, um, books that I loved as a young adult were fantasy. I mean, I loved, I, I started with Harlequin romances and then I, I went to fantasy, like, um, you know, the Lord of the Rings and, and things like that. And, um, ended up reading the Robert Jordan books as, you know, when I was young and loved those, the, uh, wheel of time stuff. And I'm like, Oh, I could never do this. You know, I could just never do this. And so now it's very interesting to see fantasy romance be so big. Yeah. But I'm still, I still have that voice back there. It's like, oh no, you don't want to invent a world. You don't want to do all this. You know, this takes time. You don't want to do all this. But I think if I could, you know, if my mind worked that way, if I didn't just love it, if I also was making up those stories, I think I'd want to try that, but I, I really don't think I will. Um, other than that, golly, uh, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I like the small town contemporaries, um, some romantic comedy, you know, I've, I've had ideas for stuff like that as well, but right now I'm just pretty happy in my military romantic suspense. And also I'm getting books back from Harlequin. Mm. So I'm re-editing those and putting those out. Those are more obviously the billionaire, no suspense really, but, um, those are fun too. Yeah. We love a good billionaire. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're so popular they've been popular forever. And it's kind of funny to see some of the writers who've been very successful in the indie world that didn't realize that Harlequin Presents was a thing and had been around for decades. Yeah. It used to be millionaires, you know, but then (laughs) turned into the billionaires and 
yeah, yeah they've always been popular one day we'll get into that trillionaire aspect of things <laughs> yeah exactly well you know might be sooner rather than later yep. we're gonna have trillionaires in our stories mm-hmm. yep the other thing too that um i think has been happening more so within the past year maybe two years now has been that it seems like the listeners and the readers are more into the tropes of the story versus the genre so much as well you know usually used to be the whole yeah. like specific genres and that was it it doesn't matter if they were what the trope was they just wanted that you know paranormal or romantic suspense and so on and so forth but now they're more like oh i love me a good friends to lovers or you know or enemies to lovers and things like that is um with your books being more military style you do have these different tropes at times but do you have a you know a favorite type of trope to write within your genre you know I, I try to vary it because I like so many different things. Like right now I've got an instant single dad that I'm working on. I'm finishing up now. He's an instant single dad because he inherits a, uh, a baby and well, not a baby, a, a two-year-old. He inherits a two-year-old and needs a nanny. So, you know, we have an instant single dad and this is a military romance. You know, he's a special ops guy. He's got stuff to do, but he's inheriting a child, a child. So instant single dad. <laughs> yeah. And then we've got, you know, we've got the, the nanny coming along. So, um, and of course she has to live with him. So it's a cabin, you know, cabin romance. I think, I think that the cabin romance works really well in romantic suspense. I like a friends to lovers. I like an enemies to lovers. I like best friends, little sister, or, you know, things yeah, like f- that. Um, the forced proximity definitely does work for romantic suspense. Forced proximity. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And in my books, they always end up in forced proximity one way or another because you have to be. Yeah. I mean, it, it just if I can just knock on your door and hang out for a little while and go back home, you know, where's the sense of danger, right? It's yeah. For danger, I must protect you. You know, we've got to be in the same. We have to be in the same house or the same car or wherever it is that we are um i like the well this worked really well in harlequin but it still works in military romance too and it's that surprise baby thing um which we know modern women we we understand how birth control works i mean we got this whole thing but a surprise baby works remarkably well in romance um, cause what are they going to do? You know? And so. Yeah. Or two, sometimes it's one of those where it was in the heat of the moment and stuff happened. And even though there was, you know, con- birth control, sometimes mm-hmm. things don't always work out and that's how life works because nothing right. is 100%, you know, um, protectiveness. And, and then to find out later, like, Oh yeah. Who's that? Kid? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So either, you know, I I've written a few, um, not just in Harlequin, but I've done it in my romantic suspenses as well. And I've had like, you know, she shows up a few years later with the kid for reasons. I try to make the reasons very good. Cause I know that's, that could be a hot button for some readers is why didn't she tell him? Um, and I understand that. I mean, it, it would not be fair in real life to just go off with the kid and not tell someone they had a kid, but there were reasons. Um, I've done that. I've done where she shows up um, and she's pregnant or one I did, the the sister of the woman who had the baby shows up at the hero. He's a Navy SEAL, shows up at his house. She's like, this is your kid. You need to do something about this because the sister had run off and left her with the kid. And, you know, you got to go through that. He's like, that is not my child. 
um, because he knows better. But then you've got these two getting involved while they try to sort out whose kid it is. Yeah, (laughs) uh, that was a really fun one to write, too. And it turns out she knows nothing about children. He was the oldest of six. Oh, so So he he can diaper a baby. He can do everything. So he's like, come on, I'm going to give you some baby one one while we sort this out. I will happily do a cheek swab. This is not my child, you know. So anyway, that was a fun one. I like stuff like that, too. Yeah, and you can you can put anything in romantic suspense and make it work, really. Yeah, sometimes those are the uh, sometimes the when the guy steps up and it's not even his kid and he steps yeah. up to it. Yeah, it's always like, oh, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I'm going to help you out, little lady. You know, yeah. I'm going to help you out till we get this sorted because it's a little baby. Yeah, oh, it's not its fault. Funny. It's not the baby's fault. And I don't have children. I never had children. And so why I write this one, um, this kind of story, I don't know. But readers love it. I enjoy it. Um, I just I I'm kind of like the heroine who doesn't know anything. Although I've had friends with babies, so I've learned, you know, but I'm like Googling sometimes when, when do babies start to talk? You know, <laughs> I have to Google it. It's, it's funny, like I'm doing the two-year-old now and I'm like, how many words do two-year-olds say? You know, yeah. I have to find out because I don't really know. So that's mm-hmm. kind of fun too. Yeah, I know, I've kind of gone off on a tangent here, but, but no, you're fine. fine. No, no, it's good. Uh, I, I think we all have, again, because we all have different histories as listeners and our own personal experiences, you know, sometimes having that surprise baby can be a bit of a trigger for some readers um, and, or it can be totally unrealistic or how you said you like, how, how dare she not tell him? And it's just, you know, how, you know, what we like to read. And sometimes that's also why personally, I prefer sometimes not to know what the trope is and uh, kind of have like that discovery yeah. along with the character. What do you mean you're pregnant? <laughs> like really like how do you mean like really and versus knowing that it's a surprise baby i'm like okay well who you know then this other stuff that you kind of have to figure out to enjoy more but i like the the not not knowing sometimes if it is a friends to love or like oh you guys have been friends and now you discovered it finally oh okay right it took the guns blazing for you to figure it out huh dumb dumb (laughs) that she's the one She's she just the one to get kidnapped, right? <laughs> yeah, she's kidnapped, and now you realize, well, she she is very attractive. Why did I never notice? I was yeah. so busy, you know, telling myself she was just my friend, and I love all of that. I mean, I I can't claim that I love one specific trope more than others. I just it's whatever fits the story. Yeah, I read so many different things. I mean, I I love the faded lovers. I I love the enemies. Like I said, just whatever. You know, um, I'm not real big into Insta love, but even that can work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm okay with Insta love as long as it's more like not immediately like, hi, I just met you. And I think you're hot and you're, you're, you're my guy, but versus like, it's been a couple of weeks and, you know, there's obviously circumstances, um, even months and even, even within the first year that to me is still considered Insta, you know, because people change and people get to know each other and. And then you realize that him leaving shoes on the floor is a pet peeve of yours. And that's it. You're done. Mm-mm, not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Can't, sorry. You have mm-hmm. refused to pick up your shoes one too many times. I don't care how hot, how hot you are. Ow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that, that, that won't fly in my world. <laughs> 
That's funny though. By, by your definition, I would say all of my books are insta love because they all happen very quickly. Um, they all happen within a week to, you know, a few months period because yeah. the situations are just so intense. Exactly. Um, for me, the insta love is more of the, he sees her across the room and knows she's the one for him. You know, I kind of, I need more reasons than that, but yeah, it can be done very well. Yeah, it can be. And I think that's also where I am okay with that insta love of across the room more when it's like a paranormal because there's some form of maybe oh, yeah. other element that's like, how do you know? Like you literally just right. saw them. And it's because one of those, depending on the species or the, the shifting or whatever, it, it, you just know. I'm like, well, okay, fine. That's more, that's more acceptable. Um, more yeah. contemporary styles. I'm like, dude, smack them across the head and wake up. <laughs> Snap <Yeah>. out of it. <laughs> Snap out of it. You don't even know her yet. Exactly. You don't like, know her. Exactly. But then also, you know, goes into romantic suspense because of the heightened emotional roller coasters, as you were saying, and the fact that if if you can save my life and still, you know, be okay with how I do things or how you do things, I'm okay. Okay. That's more believable. I think than if it was a contemporary small town, I just saw her at a coffee shop and I knew I'm like, no, you didn't do it. Yeah. Right. She was hot. She she drew me. She drew me like no other, and, yeah. and I've never felt this way before, even though I've not spoken to her. Now, that can be creepy. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's where I'm going. Hmm. It can be a little creepy. No, it, it all, there, you dude. know, <laughs> there are so many authors who do so many different things, and there are some who can make that stuff work. Um, yeah. It doesn't work for me, you know, to try it. I don't I don't feel like I can write it. It's not believable to me when I write it. But there, there are authors who can make you know, whatever their thing is, they love, they can make it yes. work. And, and that's what's so great about this genre. Mm-hmm. You know, something for yeah. everybody. Exactly. And so that's, even though it may not be my thing and my cup of tea, I know someone else that does. And so I'm like, Hey, you've got to read this because it, it's totally up your alley, you know? And that's where, again, I, I love the romance so much because people have discovered that they may have a fondness for baking goods, you know, because the, the hero or the heroine has a bakery or that they want to travel to a place because it, it was described in a book or that, you know, they have a special kink um, that they did not know about <laughs> because they discovered yeah. it in the book. So it's all fun stuff. Or like, Hey, maybe I do want to go dirt bike riding because, you know, in this romantic suspense, that's what he did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it sounded like fun. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> I never thought of trying that. I think yeah. I'll try that now. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, why not? Yeah. Is there a favorite type of scene when it comes down to your books that you love to write? whether it's the adventurous one or the, that moment of when they realize, you know, they're the one, I mean, what, what is your favorite to write? I always like, um, there are so many, I, so many that I love to write, but I always like that initial budding of the sexual tension that kind of when they touch either accidentally on purpose, you know, one or the other, and they realize there's a spark, you know, I mean, I really like that budding attraction and that's more than a scene really it takes from for my books it takes place over a few scenes but I just like putting those sparks in there you know what is it about you know if you were looking at this person that you suddenly notice or what is that feeling you get in the pit of your stomach when your hands have brushed or you know he's looked at you a specific way and maybe you've started to think hey he could be attracted to me you know so I just I like those kind of things. I mean, that's small in comparison to a specific scene. 
But that's to me, that's one of the fun things, especially after I finished a first draft. And then I go back and I start after my editor reads it, I start layering some things in. And that's one of the things I'm able to turn up. So because I may have it, you know, peppered throughout these scenes. And I'm talking probably the first quarter of the book. So I may have it peppered throughout there, but I can turn it up, you know, and really give it some depth, which I just enjoy that. I enjoy that rediscovery of going through after I've written the first draft and putting those things in. Um, if it were a specific scene beyond that, I would have, it's not, it's not the first love scene. I don't enjoy those because <laughs> <laughs> they're always so, you know, you got to get them just right. And they take a lot of thinking. And, and so um, I wouldn't say that that's the one I enjoy writing the most, but I think I enjoy that moment when they realize they love each other. Whoever realizes it first, I, I enjoy that a lot too. Like she has realized that he is the one or, you know, all these little sparks that I've been putting through there, they, they have added up to something and oh my God, yeah, I love this guy, you know, or I love this woman. So I love that scene probably most of all. Yeah. Those are some of my favorites too. When they have that moment of like, Oh crap, <laughs> they've yeah, been fighting yeah. it or they, or they even said it's, Oh, I, I'm only attracted to them or think this because, you know, he saved my life. And now that it's over, you know, kind of a thing. And like, Oh no, it's still there. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of writers say that the sex scenes are the more difficult ones to write um, for them. I always find that, you know, kind of fascinating because romance having that intimacy but at the same time I'm, I can imagine that you know trying to figure out when to insert that scene and making sure that body parts are where they're supposed to be uh <laughs> because a bit of a drag versus just in the moments you know it's like wait why do they have exactly. three hands in this one scene <laughs> <laughs> and you know I think it's too because it's the first love scene especially in contemporary romance, not er erotica is a different beast and authors who do that, I admire them so much. I, that's not my thing uh, to write, but that first initial scene in a, a just a regular contemporary historical, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, anything not erotica. It's so intense emotionally. And I think that's where the problem is for a lot of authors. I mean, they know they got to do the, there are only so many ways, the tab A, slot B, you know, there are only so many ways we're going to do this but we need to make it unique to this couple and emotional. And you want the emotion of the scene to come across along with the titillation. I mean, that's why readers read the books too. You want to be in the moment with the characters. It's, it's not just, you want the sex, you want the emotion of sex the first time with this person. And that's where the difficulty is. I think for most, most writers who say they've gotten to where they don't enjoy writing the love scenes. I think that's what it is. It just, it's the emotional part of it. For me, that's definitely what it is. Yes, uh, having that that layer of, okay, how are we going to, because as you said, you know, A and B go together sort of thing, but it's like writing the to that specific couple and the, situation, mm -hmm. you know, the scenario or the situation. And then, oh yeah, it's a lot. But then when it happens and we finally get that final product, we're like, girl, you did. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like that was good. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. I mean, I would never, as difficult as they can be to write sometimes, I would never want to close the door because as a reader, I don't want the closed door. I want 
to follow them through that emotional connection of the first time they're together. You know, I just, I want to. And so if you cheat me of that by saying, you know, close the door and then the next morning deal with some emotions. I mean, that happens, of course, and there's a specific kind of subgenre that does that. That is not my cup of tea. I want to be there for all of it. And I think a lot of readers are that way, you yeah. know? Yeah. There's that, 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 that emotional aspect of things, whether it's an internal dialogue uh, that we're hearing from the hero, the heroine, or they're talking to each other and they're saying something and you're like, Oh, wow. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that that's going fate to black or closing doors can sometimes work for sex scenes, two, three, four, five, or six, depending on where and how many kind of a thing where absolutely maybe something happens. And then the next day over pancakes are like, so about that thing, we, yeah, we need to talk. (laughs) Yeah. So that kind of, that was absolutely. Yeah. But that first one is, is important to kind of draw in that emotional, you know, tie to everything that makes it all work, which is also what makes it romance, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's true. Yeah. What made you decide to place your um, titles in audio? Well, I I would like to say it was this well thought out, you know, shrewd business plan, but (laughs) that's not quite how it happened. Um, I think I I actually have a chart. I'm going to consult my chart real quick because I will know when I did the first audio book by looking at my chart. And I believe first audiobook was February of 2016, which means I, I got it into production probably in 2015. Um, the process of doing it was painful to me. I didn't have, I wasn't working with the production company then. It was, you know, going through ACX and, and finding narrators. And I had to get my husband to help me by listening to the auditions because I found I really couldn't. <laughs> but um, I, to answer the question... I got into audio because that was what everybody was saying at the time, you know, audio is going to be huge. Um, Audio is growing. You know, you need to put some books in audio. So I'm like, okay, sounds good to me. So um, it it was a much more involved process than I thought it was going to be. But I did, um, I did start it in 2016. So, and then I took a break for a while. Um, I did a few books and I don't know exactly how many, but then, you know, you, you encounter narrator issues, you know, timelines, things like that, um, different stuff. I got discouraged and I stopped for a while, but then I, you know, found somebody else. And so far I've got just about all of them are in audio now. And it is a huge uh, financial commitment yep. and a time commitment. You know, I, I, I know that readers or listeners who, who, listen to audiobooks, you know, price is a, is a thing. And if you primarily listen on audible, you know, indie authors have absolutely no control whatsoever over those prices over there. But um, I know they're expensive, you know, again, we don't have control, but they're also very expensive to produce. I was going to so, say, yeah, it's based off. I think the prices are so much higher for audiobooks because of the cost in making them. You know, the, the the price range for ebooks is, you know, sometimes a lot less than what it costs to make as far as, but that's again, once you make one, you're done as far as the printing is not there, but that's also where the printing cost used to come into play in what all that fun stuff happens. But audio is expensive. And especially when it's done correctly and you're getting the right cast and you're 
making sure that the quality of the editing is perfect because heaven forbid that you get someone coughing in the back of the book when you're not supposed to be coughing. Um, <laughs> you know, or you're like, what are they mumbling? What did they say? You know, so it's it's an investment for the author. And that's something too, that's what I love about having this series and having this conversation with you guys is, Yes, there's going to be those listeners that are like, damn, that's expensive. And I'm like, but you have no clue how much Jay spent to make it for you. So shut it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and it's a long process too, because it's not just um, at least like for an example, I, I kind of sometimes compare it to like the cover model situation where you know the character is supposed to be blonde, but the cover model has brown hair or vice versa. Yeah. It's not that difficult to edit it and make it mirror what the character looks like. But finding that voice that not only brings life to the character, but is also able to carry it across the board into the entire six or eight hour of the book is or longer, and then voice the different characters at the same time, that's that's a talented gift and it costs money to hire the right person to do oh, that. <laughs> absolutely. I I 100% agree. And I, I don't know if, if you were going to mention the Google AI or anything, you know, where people can now get books read by their oh, AI. Yeah. AI. Um, yeah. You know, um, hmm, maybe if it, see, here's the thing. I will I, say that's things like maybe a cookbook. I yeah. don't need to have the emotion there. I don't need to have the, right. and now slice the cilantro, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> after you waited 30 freaking minutes for that thing to rise and it hasn't, you know, those are, you know, there's certain books maybe that you don't need to have. It's performs you know again culinary books an instruction manual of how to you know do the you know changing of a light bulb perhaps whatever maybe okay got fine um but when it comes down to other things it's it's a talent it's a skill set and what's the what the in order to really give the story a true you know um translation added bonus, bringing it to life, however you want to call it, to give it that extra oomph, you have to have it be a real person that is providing that aspect of tones and voices and accents and just the emotional behind it, you know, that whole, like, yes, I absolutely agree. Yeah. That whole thing, like, well, wow, a bullet just flew my head is not the same thing as, wow, a bullet just passed through my head, you know? (laughs) Exactly. I mean, the, the Google AI is pretty amazing. And the, the different choices it gives you, I wouldn't listen to them, not because I would consider doing it. I will say upfront, I have not considered it. I am not doing it. I value <laughs> um, audio narrators. I think they're incredible. And it, it is the emotion. The, the AI is going to read dialogue the exact same way they read the paragraph of description. I mean, it's just, it's not the same thing. And so I do realize that the audio is expensive and there will be authors who turn to that because they perhaps don't have the money to invest upfront in getting the audio done. I mean, it is a legitimate tool, but it is not the kind of tool that I think is going to really work for people who like to listen to their books brought to life because it's not going to bring a book to life, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I'm um, the first one that says um, that asks, okay, great. Love the cover. Thanks for letting me know it's coming out in, in June. When's the audio going to come out? <laughs> it's yeah. my next default question. It's like, okay, great. When's the audio coming out? And I would much rather you tell me and say, and honestly say, okay, at this point in time, financially, it cannot be done. I'm like, great. I, I, I understand that. It's a valid excuse. Um, 
but I would rather it either not happen or wait for until financially it is a better option for the author and then have it done correctly with a live action, you know, live person providing the emotions versus, you know, AI. Um, but yeah, I, I much rather save the pennies and stuff like that. And like, okay, it's, it's worth it, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting time, you know, to be, to be alive and this stuff is, is going to happen and we're going to see, you know, how it hits the marketplace. But, but yeah, I am all for the actors. I think that's what, you know, that's people who, who listen and who are power listeners, they're listening for the story to be told to them in a way that reaches their emotions, you know, and, and you don't get that. You don't get that with just, I mean, I could just read my book to you, but who wants to buy that? I mean, really, <laughs> you know, it's not, well, not going to be but, all that good. But even then there are some narrators that, um, that I know for a fact that there's like one that when I listen to him, I know that I'm going to be read the story. There might be some different tones and inflections and things like that to differentiate some of the characters. But at the end of the day, it's more of a, he's reading it to me versus like when a Jason Clark says something, you know, when he's cast, uh, I know I'm getting a, a full flesh performance or when Emma Wilder is doing it, or, you know, Amber Lee uh, Connors is doing a book. I'm getting an entire different experience based on their performance versus the great, I don't have time. So can you just sit there and read me the story? You know? Yeah. There's a difference, like, moments there too, you know, like, okay, okay. I've been wanting to listen to this book. So I'm going to have him read it to me because I, I, this girl's busy um, versus the, Ooh, I'm going to get the whole, like, almost like watching a movie in front of me scenario. So yeah. 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 But that's a close back into casting um, as well, because I mean, at the end of the day, you could cast someone that is like an AI voice. <laughs> Yeah. And there's no difference. Um, but it, casting is very important to these characters and to be able to portray the story the right way. How do you go about choosing who is going to be the leads and the characters and stuff like that for your books? Okay. Well, when I first um, started doing audiobooks, I needed help with the auditions because mm-hmm. I'm one of those people that has a hard time hearing my words read back to me or even acted back to me. (laughs) I just, I had a hard time. I don't know why some people do. Some people are like all into it. And some people are like kind of cringy and it made me feel kind of cringy. I don't know. Maybe I was self-editing in my head or whatever, but um, my husband actually stepped in to help. He, he got all of the auditions and he listened to them all. And then he gave me like three. He's like, I think these three are the best. And then one stood out in particular and it was Aiden Snow. And I just love, I love his deep voice. I just, I loved everything about what he had done in the sample. And so we cast him for several books. Um, And then for various reasons, he got busy, things happened. I stopped doing audio for a while. And when I came back to it, I thought, you know, I really need, I need a production company that's going to take care of everything for me instead of working with the narrator, you know, directly, which I had no problem working with Aiden Snow. He's fabulous. But again, he, he had to get the producers and then, and then he'd send the stuff. My husband would proof it. Um, It was just, it was more involved than I wanted. So I ended up uh, finding Blue Nose Audio, which is Joe Arden's company. Uh, People probably know that. And 
Joe has been amazing because I said, Hey, I want to do these books. You know, I want to catch up some of the books in the backlist and I've got this new series I want to do. And what do you think? And he's like, well, okay, here's who I recommend. And he would send me a list and I could go listen to the voices and then I get to choose or I get, or I can say, you know, I like these two best. What do you think? So he helps me. Uh, He gives me choices. He helps me determine. He has been very much a part of the planning for the books. And the first book I did with him, he actually narrated it. So I thought that was great. He's like, yeah, I'll do this first one. And he's done another, he's done two of them for me, but then he helped me. Like I said, he helped me cast people. And we went to the duet narration, um, which I've enjoyed doing. Uh, some of my readers are like, I don't know. I want the same voice all the way through. And then a lot of people are like, woohoo, I love this. You know, I love the two <laughs> point of view and all that, which is great, you know, but uh, yeah, I just, I listen to the samples of who he sends me. And sometimes I'm like, I think that person sounds too young for this character or too bubbly or whatever. And so we'll try something else, but I am involved in the process. Good. Yeah. I think um, working with a production company is always a good thing because it's, uh, they handle the editing or they have a team that, you know, manages stuff like that and can, that's one less thing that you guys have to worry about. Um, I know there were some production companies um, proofing is included uh, and then some, even some authors will still say, thank you for including the proofing, go ahead and do it. But I still going to listen to it one more last time. Yeah. And I, and I think that's yeah. important because sometimes the proofers do miss stuff um, and things like that. And just to have it, but I, I do prefer it when the authors are more involved in the casting because they're the ones that know the characters the best, you know, yeah. versus yeah, he's 30 and he's gruffy and he has a growl. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I mean, I can get you a voice that sounds like that, but there's, but I don't know unless you tell me, of course, that he might have, he might need a good comedic timing because he's a smart ass, you know, and a sarcastic guy too. So there's going, there's something in that tone of delivery that you have to know. And some are really great at it, and others are are okay, and others are like that's the second nature that they are. So <laughs> it comes natural yeah. to them to be the snarky, sarcastic guy. So same thing with the heroines and being able to do that. But uh, yeah, it's it's a, I love it, and I prefer it when the the authors are involved with it, just because it's an extra layer of being a better choice of knowing the characters. So when the listeners right. get it, we're going, "Ooh, yeah, that is what I was thinking." You know. mm-hmm. instead of you know just whatever you get um i have to say one thing about joe that one of my specific books there the heroine was um born in russia so you know fluent english etc but it probably has that little still has some of that accent and all and he's like oh let's cast you know this person uh to do this because her husband's russian I'm like, oh, that sounds great. <laughs> and of course I listen to samples, but you know, he has those little extra suggestions like that. And I just, I find that to be really awesome um, because I, I suffer from like many of us uh, too many choices. I just, I'm going to shut down and not be able to make a choice Yes, because you know, there really is such a thing as too many choices. So if somebody just presents me with a huge, you know, list of people, I'm going to have a problem as opposed to when they say, look, I think these four people would be a really good fit. Here are some samples, these four people for this reason, you know, and so it narrows it down and it helps me out a lot. Um, I think that part is amazing. 
Yeah. And that goes also back to having that conversation with the the author and saying, hey, you know, do they have an accent? Um, what kind of accent? I mean, have they been here in the States for a while? Um, versus, yeah, they may be from, you know, the family might be from Italy and they the accent only comes out when they're upset, having sex or um, yeah. talking about food. <laughs> Other than that, exactly. the accent does not come out. And so you kind of have to find someone that can pull it off and do it or that has, you know, a bit of Italian in them or no, or, or is yep. married to one that <laughs> this happens to. Exactly. Uh, yeah. and, and I that. think all that's really, it is really important. Um, you could still get a quality production, you know, from somebody who has a really nice voice and acts things out, but maybe does it, doesn't do it exactly the way you would have wanted it done. You can have a ni- really nice production, but if you can get all those things, that is even better. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the Holy grail, you know? And so when you find your team, and you get what you believe is a really great team that you enjoy working with. You just hang on. You know? Yeah. I hang oh, yeah. on. Mm-hmm. Especially when they listen to you and you're, you're providing them with insight yeah. or information, or I've had situations too, where the author has worked with a production company, but the author also has a team already in place that is specific yeah. to doing the marketing for the audiobook. And I've had it where the production company has said, no, we will take care of everything, including the casting. And, you know, the author's like, but, but, but that's why I have her, you know, and, yeah. you know, it's when the, uh, and that's happened too with some, you know, popular production companies. And I'm like, dude, you don't know. <laughs> There's a reason why, you know, yeah. they have a team. And, and so when the production company listens and says, okay, great. What, what do they want? So, you know, who are they thinking? And sometimes, I mean, it's happened with me too. The author will come to me and say, I want um, inserts, very popular. Let's just say, I'm going to throw a number, a name in there, Sebastian, you know, York. I want him. He is the yeah. voice of this character. And we're like, we will ask Sebastian York if he's available and able to take this on book. But here is another set of narrators that have a similar quality to the voice and the tone in case he's mm-hmm. not available. And then knowing that is also, I think, you know, having the alternative and knowing what that yeah. quality of voice is, is, is key to be able to. Oh yeah, that is key. That's, that's what Blue Nose does for me as well. You know, they'd be like, we think these voices have that quality. You know, this person isn't available, but these voices are similar. And that is, that's just super helpful because unless you are a power listener and I'm not, I mean, I, I write, I, I'm writing books. I read a lot. I also do uh, listen to audiobooks, but I'm not a power listener. I'm not like everyday listening to audiobooks like people do. And so I don't necessarily know who's similar to whom, or even at one time, I didn't even know who the popular people were. I mean, I've learned that now, but I didn't even know, you know, that if you have Sebastian York on your production or Teddy Hamilton or somebody like this, your audiobook is going to earn out a lot quicker than if you have, you know, this person we've never heard of. So having people on your team who know those things is very important. Yeah. I also think too, sometimes um, definitely knowing who the popular artists are is important, but also knowing that sometimes the listeners, because they're so popular, they're overused. And sometimes the listener wants a bit of variety in their mix and stuff like that. They'll still know and they'll still listen to it because it is, you know, fill in the blank, you know, popular narrator. But I, there, even for me as a power listener, I will not pick up a book sometimes because it's the same narrator over and over and over and over and over again. And they're great. I'm not yeah, taking maybe, away from them. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Maybe you still hear that person's voice 
as yes. this other specific character yes. in another book. And so you can't make that switch. Yes. You know, I just mm-hmm. listened to a book with this guy and he was fabulous as this character. Yeah. I can't now go listen to him be someone else. You know? Yes. Yeah. Or even sometimes when it's the same author. And so it's part of a series and I'm like, yeah. but, but he was so good as the first hero. And now I'm, I'm so, like, yeah. my brain does not compute. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and that sometimes happens. And that's where I think having that team that is, you know, able to help you out with that and getting the, the different voices in it and, and also knowing about marketing too and saying, okay, yes, I, we know that this is a popular narrator, but you know, the heroine, if we get this narrator and then get, maybe get a newer guy, it'll still even out at the end and still get popular. Plus that newer guy is really good and up and coming and stuff like that. So that's always important to, to kind of have that balance too, that I oh, think sure. some production Absolutely. companies are starting to realize that as well, that they don't need to have the same people over and over again to make the, the book sell. So that's always a good thing. It's a good no, learning. you don't, mm-hmm. you really don't. You just, you know, you need a, a good performance and, you know, maybe you, you do get that more popular person as an anchor. And then, you know, if you're doing duet, obviously, then you can get someone who's, who's up and coming and make it a thing, you know, and yeah. I'm always open to suggestions, you know, which I'm, I feel like I'm easy to work with, you know, yeah. says, Hey, what do you think about this? I'm like, Oh, that sounds good to me. You know? yeah. Sure. Yeah. But also but, we're at a point too, where the listeners are saying, Oh my God, Lynn, you have to listen to this voice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, and that's the other thing too. I think that it's great when listeners are recommending um, narrators to authors, because there are so many out there and, you know, it's just the, the variety of talent is so vast and being able to kind of get that insight from a listener that really loves your books and say, I think this will be perfect for you. And then here's some samples and and this is why, and then like, yes. And then it makes, you know, the magic happens and we get the great audiobook at the end. So those are always fun too. I love that when listeners partake that way, you know? Yeah, I I do too. I, I love getting suggestions. I mean, I, I, I've gotten them on occasion, you know, i I'm still growing my audiobook audience. So I, I don't feel like I have this just major audiobook audience yet. Um, again, I've, I've published a lot of backlist recently and I'm getting ready to drop like four um, that I've been holding on to because book five is coming out next month. So I'm getting ready to drop some. So I'm just, there's a lot of backlist people are able to go listen to um, in order to catch up. But I, I do hear from listeners, which is awesome you know, when they like something or don't like, like I said, I had some that were like, I don't like when the guy's reading and then the girl's reading and then the guy's reading. I'm like, well, sorry, but I can't redo the book. Well, you, you can't please everybody. A lot of people do like it. Yeah. There's no, there's, you can never please everybody at the same time. And I think it's just one of those where people will learn that sometimes that's just how it, it will be and they will get used to it. And that's, I think sometimes where they, they like following the narrators because they know that they do such a good job when it comes down to that swapping of the POVs, that's, it's not the, the accents are consistent or the tones and the cadence are consistent. So it's not that big of a, whoa, what just happened moment um, when there's a switch in POVs. Um, But also too, I think sometimes where duets becoming more unpopular because we're getting a straight off the get-go that this narrator is playing this character and that narrator is playing this character and it can maintain itself across the whole duration of the book. So, yeah. Yeah. But again, we can't please everybody and it's okay. It's okay. No, Not everybody, you know, there's it's other okay. authors out there that write, you know, and have audiobooks with just the one narrator. This that's fine. You know, 
Yeah, that's true. And I have a bunch from the, from early on mm-hmm. that are just one narrator. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing too. That's what I love about backlist too, is when I first discover a new author and I'm like, what else you got? <laughs> and then yeah. it's like devouring the whole blacklist. And I'm like, yes, you know, because the first, that one book that I discovered them via that one book, it's like, Ooh, I want more. So it's always fun to have those backlists mm-hmm. available. Yeah. And I also love it when authors start getting audiobooks with their newest releases but then realize that we want the other ones and they're like yeah okay great we're gonna do it we're like yes they love us yeah they're listening to us yeah (laughs) right I mean that's kind of what happened to me as I I thought well I want to yeah write in the same world but different series in the same world so characters cross sometimes yeah you know from one series to another but I when I went with Blue Nose I wanted to start the specific series and start getting it in audio and then I was like, you know what? I, I still got all these other books that I haven't done yet that are all in this world, even if they're not the same series. So maybe I just need to, I just need to get them all done. I need to bite the bullet you know, and, and get them all done. And it's been a process. I think I've, I've been uh, since, let's see, my first book with Blue Nose came out in uh, November of 2020. So basically I've had a plan and been getting these books in the works for, you know, a couple of years with Blue Nose and just steady. They're just steady coming, you know, catching them all up, but it's, it's good to have. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Um, So when you're not producing your books and writing the books and talking about your books and stuff like that, what do you do for fun when you're not working? Well, of course I like so many, I'm at the desk almost every day, but um, I ride horses mm-hmm. and I have a saddlebred show horse and we just had a show this past weekend, in fact, and, uh, we were reserve champion in our class, which was just a lot of fun. Um, riding horses competitively is something that you can't be thinking about your book while you're riding, um, because you're riding a, you know, a one ton animal, uh, who has a mind of his own. And he can decide to go in a different direction at any moment than you think you're going. And, and, you know, you find yourself on your mind. So um, I'm not thinking about books or writing when I'm riding the horse. I'm just, I'm in the moment. I'm exercising, um, riding horses for anybody who hasn't done it. You know, you think the horse does all the work. It's not true. It's very intense. Um, I ride English and I ride saddle seat. Um, I have ridden hunters and dressage, but I currently ride saddle seat and it is, it's just very intense and physical. And I just, I have a barn family, you know, we hang out. Um, it's all about the horses. We get lunch together, you know, we've got horse hair all over us and we go to the local (laughs) diner and, you know, we sit off in the corner because we're the, the people who smell like horses and it's just, (laughs) it's really great. Um, yeah, it's great to have something different. Uh, that clears my mind and, and gets me with people who are not involved in the author world. Yeah. The work stuff. Yeah. 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 So I have something totally different than work, which is really great. And I didn't always have that. I mean, um, I rode as a kid and I rode competitively and I got out of it for many years. It was about seven years ago. I got back into it. So I'd been writing, I'd been an author for a while, but about seven years ago, I got back into the horse world and it's just been wonderful for my health. Awesome. So yeah, it's, mental it's health, 
yeah. physical health. And that's also the, the, the importance of the self-care part of it, because it is time that you are taking yeah. for yourself. It's okay to not be working and it's okay to enjoy the moment in that instant while it's happening and not have to worry about work. Yeah. <laughs> so Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. And I, I think that's why riding horses is so good because you really can't think about something else. You know, you could probably, you could play piano, which I actually take piano lessons. I'm not, I'm not any good. I've only been doing it for a couple of years. It's just something I always wanted to do. So about once a week, I have a piano lesson and I don't practice as much as I should. Hopefully my piano teacher won't listen to this, but, <laughs> but you know, you could think about, you could think about the book while you're trying to practice piano. You cannot think about it on the back of a horse, which yeah, is really helpful. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think I, I haven't written, I love horses and it's on my list of things to do more is ride them. But I remember being uh, a little kid and my mom taking us to the, the park where they would have some horse rides that people can do a la cart kind of a thing. And I still remember mm-hmm. that, that one time where I was riding it and the horse got spooked. I think someone threw a baseball yeah. bat, a, a baseball at it. And it got hit and he yeah. went running and I'm oh. like holding on and the, 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 <laughs> the owners of the courses are running after me and their horses and everything. And I'm like, I still have that mental picture. So I, yeah, you've got to focus when you're in that horse because anything, I mean, from a squirrel to a person sneezing can totally get oh, the yeah. horse spooked and, and they That's have right. a mind of their own as to what happens next. <laughs> so. Yeah, they really, they do. And even the best horse can get scared, yeah. you know, and you just always need to be prepared for it. I mean, you're not like sitting there panicked the whole time because, oh, yeah. because you're a team, you know, but yeah, they can, if your legs aren't, you know, where they need to be and you're not gripping your saddle and you're just like in la la land looking at your phone, which I've seen people ride with their phone. <gasps> I don't. But if you're doing something like that, I know, isn't that crazy? Um, I'm going to scroll on my phone while I'm riding my horse. No, because oh. <laughs> yeah, you've experienced it. They literally can take off if yeah. they're frightened. Mm-hmm. But also being you need on, to be prepared. But also being in that moment of experience of sitting in such a majestic animal and feeling him underneath you, kind of a thing, and 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 you know the breathing and the environment and what you're doing and the galloping and the air it's just being in that moment right then and there is what it's all about. So the fact that people yeah. are scrolling on their phones, I'm like, dude, no. <laughs> I know, right? I, I mean, I will admit to, yeah, yeah, I will admit that if I was like, you know, at that one moment, maybe to take a selfie with the horse at that point, that would be a quickie, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a thing. But other than that, yeah. I want to embrace the moment and, kind of see and be one with the horse and stuff like that especially with with you I'm sure it's also you have a relationship with them you've learned their you know their their cadence as well if they're you know their moods and if they're in the mood to be written or not um and stuff like that so there's an Mm -hmm. entire different set of experiences that you do when you're horseback riding versus being on that phone (laughs) yeah absolutely it's it's a wonderful escape you know and and I don't want anything to detract from it. So, yeah. so I don't let it. Good. I'm glad that, that that's uh, a, a thing that you do. It's, it's, I think it's important. I'm hoping that more and more people realize that it's okay to have something that's not work related. <laughs> yeah. 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 Really. And maybe, maybe the pandemic kind of did that for people. You know? Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, it definitely because increased so the hustle. To, yeah. 
well that's true too you know but um, the, the being able to differentiate this is my work time and my my fun time or my my downtime yeah because when yeah. you're when you're doing it from home as oh, so yeah. many people had to do they did have to learn to differentiate because otherwise you could you could basically work the whole time you were awake mm-hmm. you know if you didn't set a boundary and yeah. so you know maybe which writers tend to do anyway yeah it's kind of hard for us you know but um it's you can learn you know yeah. you can learn to set those boundaries and absolutely feed your soul yeah you work with words all day and have them running all over your head i'm sure when you're not on that horse anyways <laughs> yeah <laughs> what is your favorite word different from a curse word just you know, making sure so you have a favorite word and what is it Oh my goodness. Um, well, I guess as a romance author, I would have to say love. Mm. Love is the most important human emotion there is. It's, it's the most meaningful. And, and so that's why we write romance because, you know, you want that connection and, and, and love is not a word you use a lot in a romance novel, which kind of sounds counterintuitive, but it's not because the people are learning to discover what love is and that they're in love. And so I just, I would have to say love. Okay. It's a great word. Yeah, it is. What is your favorite curse word? Oh, well, that would be fuck. (laughs) (laughs) There's so many, so much emphasis, you know, it's it's such a great emphasis word. And my military guys um, are going to say it a lot. Again, I grew up around the military and I married into it and it's, you know, it's a word that they use all the time. It's just part of the lexicon. And so it, for people who are offended by that word, they, they might not want to pick up my books. I mean, I'm not saying it's on every page, of course not, but you know, my guys are going to, they're going to say it. They're going to yeah. say it in their head. They're going to say it in dialogue because yeah, it's true to the character. So yeah. I just, yeah, that's my favorite curse word just because it's, it's the ultimate bad word, you know? Yeah. And so versatile. So versatile. Yeah. I mean, it can be used. It can be used angrily. It can be used happily. You know, yeah, it can be used surprise. No. I mean, there's just mm-hmm. so much to it. Yeah, exactly. It's definitely something that's very versatile, which it's one of the reasons why yeah. it's also one of my favorites. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's a yeah. fun one. Yeah. So before we go, what can you share with us that you're currently working on or what's coming up next for you? Well, I am working on, um, it's called Hot Courage and it's in my Strike Team 2 series. And it's actually coming out um, in ebook on the 21st of June. And the audio will be very close because uh, the narrators are getting started in June. I think June 1st, they're getting started. So it should be very close. And this series, this is the fifth book in the series. And I've actually gotten the previous four as part of my backlist. I just got them in audio and I have not release them yet, but I'm getting ready to drop them this month so that people can get prepared. You know, so these four this month and then uh in June they should have hot courage. And I'm also getting ready to drop um blackmail was my last book in late March in my Black Bandit series, but the audio was lagging. I have it. I'm getting ready to drop that too. So I have like five audiobooks coming in the next, you know, by the end of the month, probably, and a sixth um, at Sweet. the end of June. Sweet. Yeah. 
That's awesome. Lots of fun stuff waiting for us to uh, be able to grab and listen yeah, to. So can't wait. I'm sprinkling audio like flower petals at a wedding, you know, I'm just <laughs> dropping it out there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, trust me, the way that we're devouring it, it's one of those, like, it will get picked up. No worries. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. Well, thank you for sharing that. And thank you for being part of this year's audiobook loving series. It's been so much fun catching up with you. Thanks. I've really enjoyed it. I, um, I appreciate the invitation and it's been a great conversation. Thank you. Yes. And everyone, thank you for hanging out with us today. And we hope you've enjoyed this chat as well as the series. Make sure to follow Lynn over on social media and we will be providing you with those links. So you guys don't have to go searching for them over at the audiobook loving series page at Viviana Enchantress of Books. And until next time, happy listenings. Thank you for joining us in the audiobook loving series hosted by Viviana enchantress of books we hope you have enjoyed this episode as well as the series we've included audio samples of our guests work within the post for you to check out please make sure to visit the main page link within the post to learn more about the series the authors and the narrators please consider leaving a review wherever you listen to the series if you enjoyed today's episode make sure to follow us on our social media platforms and subscribe to the viviana enchantress of books newsletter until next time happy listening Audiobook Lovin' hopes you've enjoyed this program.